You're listening to The Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you by thecourtleader.net in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. Welcome to part two of the conversation with our panel of court administrators. Their courts have endured multiple concurrent crises, allowing protesters into the courthouse because it's a public building, yet all the while worrying about vandalism, struggling to maintain a semblance of an operation with the courthouse closed for months at a time, keeping air circulation open to eliminate the coronavirus, yet closing vents to prevent breathing in wildfire smoke. We have so much to learn from the solutions that they have crafted. I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. We've invited five court administrators whose courts have been at the heart of devastating and ongoing crises, months-long protests, wildfires, and the coronavirus. What did they and their courts have to go through? How are they modifying their future contingency plans? And what can we learn from what they've had to endure? So let's join my co-host and our panel. I'm joined today by my co-host, Alice Roberts, recently retired from the Alaska court system. Our panel includes Barbara Marcille, trial court administrator for the 4th Judicial District in Portland, Oregon, Elizabeth Baldwin, court administrator for the Municipal Court in Seattle, Washington, Bob Fleshman, court executive officer for the Superior Court in Napa County, California, Michael Rowdy, Court Executive Officer for the Superior Court in San Diego, California, and Elizabeth Rambo, Trial Court Administrator for the Lane County Circuit Court in Eugene, Oregon. Thank you all for joining today's podcast. Bob, the wildfires presented such a fast-moving crisis. How did your emergency response plan hold up, and what parts will you be updating? One thing I'll say about the people of Napa and really all over the area is they are resilient. In the past decade, as I mentioned earlier, we've gone through floods, fires, earthquakes, and uh, you know the court up until the pandemic had never shut down, had never closed operations, and that's really a testament to the folks here. Um, but it also means that our continuity of operations plan was was pretty up to speed and uh, has served the court well. Um, and, and I'll credit the flexibility of folks um, and their resiliency. I think the biggest thing to come out of recent events, and I'll just kind of lump them all in, just let's just file them under 2020, okay, really is going to come from the pandemic. And that's pivoting to, you know, a more digital environment, an environment where we're doing more remote proceedings, more remote virtual services. This has not historically been an organization that promoted a work from home, but we were forced into that um, as a result of the pandemic. And we have changed almost every business procedure in the court and way of doing business uh, in the last seven months. And I think that will be the biggest change. Um, When things calm down, I hope you're making a promise that that's going to happen. I think that will be the biggest change is what we're going to have to look at is a new reality of, okay, well, what does it mean to continue operations when it's digital? And and I think that's probably the biggest change and and revisions we'll have to make in our plan because uh, most plans uh, assume physical like we're, we're just moving the courthouse from here to the fairgrounds or the opera house or the school. 
not, we're moving it into the ether. And so um, because we've already really pivoted to that, I mean, every one of our courtrooms now is Zoom capable. We've gone completely virtual in a number of services the court provides, and we're leaning really hard into bolstering that infrastructure and planning that, that this is the way of the future and not just a bridge to when things are better. So, um, so I think that's our main focus will be um, what does a digital courthouse look like in our continuity of operations plan? So, Liz, what parts of your emergency response plan will you be updating when this whole crisis sort of subsides? Well, Pete, our emergency response plan specifically is uh, very robust. Uh, we have all the kind of systems that you guys are talking about for reaching out to employees, different groups of employees. And so those first 24 hours of emergency response, we have a fairly robust plan for dealing with an emergency situation or a crisis that comes up. So the one thing that I would add to it though, at this point is maybe some tabletop exercises in an emergency situation around smoke and fire specifically, because those things were not really on our radar. You know, we had tabletops emergency responses to earthquakes and floods, but we didn't really have specific specifically smoke and air quality issue, tabletop type emergency response procedures. Luckily, like Bob was saying, a lot of our things that we had in place work for what we're doing, but we had to make it all up. So I want to make sure that my plan includes those specific things that I've learned from. So when I retire soon, hope, <laughs> then somebody else will benefit from all of this craziness. Elizabeth, you've gone through the protests, you've gone through wildfires, and you've gone through the coronavirus. What parts of your emergency response plan are you going to be updating? Like the other speakers, Seattle has a pretty strong emergency, Office of Emergency Management, and we have, the court has really robust uh, emergency plans. You know, and it's actually been updated in the last couple of years because of our snow. And uh, we had to do a little bit of communication updates. But the two things that we need to update our plan on is long-term limited court operations. I think that's been mentioned by others. And then I imagine Portland has had to do this as well. But we had to clarify our procedures on how to maintain public access to the courthouse when we are open during business hours, when there are protests right outside or on the plaza, when there are marches going by, when there are security concerns for people. And so um, we really, uh, my leadership team and I, we really talk through the access because your immediate thought is, oh, close the doors, keep the courthouse safe, keep you know people safe. But we have a duty to provide uh, public access during work hours. And so we'll be updating that. But what we what we did is have our marshals watching the door, listening, checking out social media, um, just patrolling or just walking around the area to see what was going on. We've had protesters who want to come in the building to use the facilities. And, you know, we we've allowed that. And but there's also concerns about getting into areas of the courthouse where uh, there's confidential information or um, our, our money areas. So I think that's one area that we'll be uh, talking about a little bit more about how to ensure public access during work, work hours and ensure safety for all. 
Now, I think of continuity of operations as somewhat different from emergency response in that it covers a much longer timeline strategy. Barbara, with your experience, what changes will you be making to your continuity of operations plan? Our business continuity plan is um, about 450 pages. I've got a big fat binder. I you know, have it online and accessible to me. Really, during all of this, the main thing that I found um, useful was our mass notification system and having our databases up to date and our templates for those quick notifications. The rest of it, you know, I, I dragged it out and, and started you know, revisiting our pandemic plans in that initial stage in March. And the intermittent nature uh, and changing nature of the um, guidance was in terms of how to keep people safe and um, the predictions for, you know, when things would end or when things would improve kept changing so dramatically that the, the, the plans that we made just didn't really contemplate incidents of that nature, both the duration, you know, things lasting for, you know, eight months, um, but also just so much of our business continuity plans really contemplated something that would bring down one of our facilities, and then we would need to move operations from that facility to one of our other facilities or some other location. And so a lot of plans around how to do that, but that really wasn't what we ended up needing to do. We needed to have restricted operations in all of our facilities. Um, the point that uh, Elizabeth brought up about the access, in addition to public access, it's employee and judge access. Our buildings, um, our downtown buildings right now are all barricaded. We have literal barricades, wooden structures around the buildings to prevent them from being damaged so that we can operate them. But what that means is it's really difficult for all of us to get in when we are open. Um, we have doors in the wooden structures that are un, you know, unbarricaded and there's no way to open them from the outside. You can only open them from the inside. So all of our structure where we're used to being able to get into our facilities whenever there's a need to, whether it's at night or very early in the morning, over the weekend, we haven't had that opportunity because of the, the barricade. So it, I think we'll really need to re-examine every aspect of our business continuity plan given all of the changes that we've gone through this year. This has been a really good trial run for that business continuity plan and, and we've found some gaps. Mike, given the coronavirus, the demonstrations, and the wildfires, are there changes to your continuity of operations plans that you intend to make? Uh, well, they've been exercised uh, several times over the past few years. So this recent set of experiences has confirmed a lot of what we've done as far as organizational response. But like Bob indicated, uh, one of the areas that we're going to have to significantly change is the technology component of our planning because we've become more reliant on it on a daily basis, but even from an enterprise perspective. So what do you do when Zoom or Teams or WebEx goes down as it's done recently on, on occasions? when your entire business plan is built around that vendor product. So I, I can see going forward, we're gonna to have to beef that particular component up and talk about redundancy or backup capabilities if a sizable portion of the, of the system goes down. Our plan also con contemplates one building or two buildings going down, not the entire system. Uh, our takeaway from that, which is outside of the continuity operations plan, and what has been very effective for us in some of our last disaster responses is to establish um, a command center or a war room 
or uh, a central location to continue to bring in the key management and security and judicial leaders because a lot of continuity planning and even disaster planning revolves around the ability to make decisions and to get the word out so that people can execute what needs to be done. And so for example, in the pandemic, never having been confronted with, with a situation like that, we had to invent a lot of new processes and procedures. We were putting stuff out on the internet to try to enhance access as was indicated, changes in the way we communicate, well, all that was really flowing from a core team of people that was continuing to meet every single day, often two and three times a day, to look at the latest information, to gather the resources. And so much like the counties and states and even the federal government have an Office of Emergency Services or Emergency Planning, we've kind of instituted that same process in the court. So we can take a look at our plan, execute the plan, or make the adjustments. And for us, that's proven very effective. But technology, I think, is going to be a big takeaway from all this. In every crisis, we hear that the adage that communication is key. Barbara, over the months of the nightly demonstrations, what sort of procedure did you work out for employee communication? How well has it worked? And have you made changes to improve your communication? Yeah, communication has been really critical for us as we've been working through all of these different situations. Uh, I'm not sure if I clearly explained at the outset, but in the downtown corridor where all of this has been going on, we've been in the process of replacing our 100-year-old historic courthouse and have built a brand new building that we were planning to move into this summer. So um, we've been um, in the process in the final stages of this move, this push to clear out our 100-year-old building and move into a brand new building a few blocks away at the same time that we've been under the pandemic conditions and under the protest conditions and then the wildfire conditions. And so there have been so many different things that I've needed to relay and, and converse with my employees and my judges about to be sure that everybody had um, accurate information. I would say, you know, in terms of making sure, you know, rumors weren't spreading and people weren't getting misinformation. What I really tried to do is get out in front of anything as quickly as possible, get information out there. As soon as the status of anything changed, I wanted to get information out to people so that they weren't hearing it from someone else, weren't getting their information from the media reports, um, because so much information that has been reported for all of these different circumstances has not been accurate and hasn't really addressed what's been going on with the courts. So our employees and our judges and the public or the attorneys that needed to come and do business in the court weren't really able to get information or really understand you know, what the circumstances were downtown for the court operations. So uh, a lot of emails. We were really happy to have our Everbridge notification system set up. So we use that frequently for sending out mass notifications to uh, all of our employees and staff and partners when necessary. The other thing that I just found really important was being present myself as a court administrator. I think our on-site employees felt really oppressed basically, you know, by all of these environmental issues that were impacting them. And it really was a feeling of taking on these added personal risks to be able to come to court and do your job. And I really felt that even though there are days that, you know, I could have maybe done all of my meetings remotely from home on a video conference, I really needed to be on site with my employees and they needed to see me here. If they had to be here, you know, I at least could be here with them. 
also worked on a number of different little efforts to try to show them appreciation. We're also, you know, in a, another um, major impact on the court has been budget reductions in Oregon because of the pandemic. We, as with most states, we've had a, a revenue um, shortfall and that has forced budget reductions. So things that we would ordinarily do to motivate employees like merit increases or special bonuses, things like that, were not possible during a time of budget reduction. So I needed to get really creative I did a thank you card campaign with getting judges to sign cards for all of my employee departments. I did a, a fundraiser, got um, myself and, and our judges contributed to a, a pot of funds that I used to buy treats and snacks and things to have on hand for the on-site employees. Have really just tried to show them in as many ways as possible that there's not much I can do to improve the circumstances. There really so much is beyond our control, but that we're we're trying to be in this together and, and we're trying to support them in, in all of their work as much as possible. Wow, thank you, Barbara. It's clear you're you're an excellent leader and you care about your staff. Elizabeth, can you tell us about your communication procedures with your employees throughout these issues? You know, I'd like to say, first of all, this has been a great support and therapy group this morning for court administrators. I mean, it has been one heck of a six months. And um, when, when Liz was talking about becoming an expert, you know, on air quality ratings and MERV and then, yeah, and going through budget cuts too, Barbara. Uh, yep, we're right there with you. And so, you know, when I think about communication, our courthouse had to close down over a weekend and so we instituted some things with uh, COVID that I think it served us really well going through still to today and, and I will add that our arraignment court was always going on that's located in the King County Jail so that was always that function was always going down but our courthouse was closed to the public for about three months but anyway um what we did are a number of things. We have a thing we call Alert SMC, Seattle Municipal Court. It's a text message system that employees can sign up for. So we did a lot of texting employees over that weekend and a lot of personal phone calls to employees to just talk with them. We then started for our leadership team every day at 9.30, we need to go over any kind of issues. So, it, you know, COVID, yeah, and then impacts of the protests to talk about budget matters, for, you know, air quality. And I mean, who knows what will be next, but I, you know, I'm sure it'll be something. So, so we do that with our leadership team. And then a, a couple times a week, we then have a follow-up uh, conference call with our presiding judge and assistant presiding judge to make sure they're in the loop, any decisions we need them to make. And then for probably the first four or five months, we had daily town hall, like Zoom calls for all staff, all staff could join. And um, the presiding judge gave some words and updates. And then we had speakers who would give updates. And then we always uh, had the availability. You could text in questions and we'd answer them, you know, right there on the spot or the next day. And again, we we're doing that still today and it's been very helpful. Another thing we did is we really encouraged where managers might have unit unit meetings like once a month. We asked them to try to do them once a week virtually. We found that that was a really good way when a lot of employees are working virtually 
sort of orient your day and just to have something to uh, look forward to. And uh, so that has been very effective. And we've also asked uh, supervisors to do one-on-one -on -one meetings with staff much more often. I don't know if everybody's doing them once a week and what, but just to really increase that. And then I was thinking too, just when issues were happening in the building, we have our, our court security, our marshals, and they were always in contact with the police department and the city's facility um, management group, letting us know, you know, if there were social media about protests coming or where were the protests. And so we would know when to talk to staff. Um, we closed several times, like at three o'clock and had employees go home just for safety. So it's just, who knew that the communication mechanisms that we put in place for COVID would be so helpful for the protests, for our budget cuts and that process for putting, down, putting out rumors and then for when we had the bad air quality for two weeks. And my heart goes out to you guys who had to deal with it in person because yeah, it's quite a year. Wow, uh, thank you, Elizabeth. I really love the idea of your Zoom town hall meetings for staff and, and judges. That's, that's a great idea. Mike, can you tell us about how your communication procedures in San Diego have been working? Sure. Um, again, um, from historical events that have occurred, we've really, I think, honed down our communications um, plan. Um, and it's, I think, been very effective during these last six or eight months. We have court-wide communications that typically will go out to inform all judges and employees. We've had great success using our, our court network and our email system to do that. We also, of course, have the uh, rapid reach system to get emergency notifications out as well. One of the unique characteristics in our county is that we have uh, six major locations and often events can affect one location and not another. So we, for example, could have protests, and did have some protests in the downtown area, whereas our branch courts were unaffected. We had a protest in one of our branch court areas and the rest of the courts were unaffected. So we've also developed uh, sub lists or sub menus where we can target communications to the judges and the employees in those specific branches as well. And so as part of our orientation process for new employees, we, of course, sign them up, we get all their contact information, and we can reach out through uh, cell phones, uh, email, our court email network. So we have multiple channels that we can use, and we break that down by facility. Um, it's been very effective, for example, in communicating issues like it's now open enrollment period. And like many of you, we have employees who are working from home. We have employees who are on uh, CARES Act release. We have uh, employees on furlough and all that. So we can continue to use those basic systems to communicate information about our wellness programs related to COVID and other health issues, to our open enrollment periods, flu shots. Uh, we actually had some on-site COVID testing. And all of that communication is occurring electronically. And again, we can target it by location. We can even target it by group. So we can send out a communication to judges only. We can send out a communication to the managers only or to the managers and supervisors. 
And so it's proven to be very effective. And I would say we, we typically reach 95 plus percent because I hear about the complaints uh, when we don't. Um, the other thing that it's very effective in doing is countering rumors, um, especially during some of the protest periods that we had. There were lots of rumors flying around about this and that. And we were able to get those rumors, get the facts, and then target communications to either the entire court and or to specific areas about what we actually knew and what was factual. And that was very helpful as well. All right, thank you, Mike. So Bob, your court is in the middle of a wildfire emergency with things moving at breakneck speed. What is your court's employee communication procedure and how is it working? Thanks for asking. I will start first actually in my prior court before coming to Napa. I worked in the San Bernardino Superior Court um, down in Southern California, not too far from Mike, and the largest county in the lower 48 states, 20,000 square miles. And um, we had uh, 15 facilities that operated down there and it adopted the same exact system that Mike described in such great detail. It was really easy to do targeted communications. And I have to say, if you if you uh, are in a county with branch courts or employee groups, or if, if you're large or spread out, that it really is beneficial to be able to target whether you want to uh, communicate with folks in one specific area or courthouse or level of folks, whether it's management. Again, if you're in a larger organization, it really is great benefit. So I would rewind and listen to everything that Mike said, because I always do what he does. In Napa, the 2017 fires were the most devastating on most measures for the North Bay in California, even though we've had fires every year since, including two in the last six weeks, uh, in terms of loss of life and loss of property and homes. And that really shook a lot of folks for lots of reasons. One thing that stuck with me that I can still hear verbatim is a presiding judge from one of my neighboring courts who said they could not account for their staff for four days after the 2017 fires uh, because communications were down and they didn't have a communication protocols of any kind in place. And boy, that really resonated with me when I came to Napa because we didn't have really the same protocols either in place. So, you know, we, we basically have three things that, that we have implemented here. One is a rapid text message system. We call it Nixle here, but it's like Rapid Reach or Everbridge or any of the other models out there. Ours is local, but it's tied into our county emergency notification system, which this which people who live here are already used to. And so we wanted to kind of leverage a familiar thing. So we weren't really rolling out a new item that looked kind of the same. So we're really kind of piggybacking and we have a really advanced and outstanding emergency operations team here um, with our county with which we have an uh, amazing relationship with at all levels. And so we kind of piggybacked on what they already had in place. Um, we also set up an 800 number for folks to call. So like, is the court open tomorrow? And really just targeting staff, right? Because, you know, rumors. You know, are you closed? You know, because if you watch the news, it looks like Napa has burned to the ground. I mean, truthfully, I still have people ask me, oh, you go to work? It looks like everything burned. I'm like, no, no, we're Napa's fine. City of Napa's fine. And so we set up a phone number just to call, which is a recorded message saying report to work or you have flexible leave today or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and then we also set up a website option. So, you know, if you can give a landline, a cell phone or internet access, you can go to any of those to kind of check on the status of, what's going on and what do you need to know? And beyond that, we've we found those three things will hit pretty much everybody in some way and allows them to access information they need at a time that they need. 
I will add real quick, uh, we've had two fires in the last six weeks. The fire six weeks ago, which was the lightning complex fire, which started again, not because of power lines or, or, or winds, which is unusual, it was lightning, which we usually don't have lightning west of the Sierras in the summer in California. And we had 25% of our staff evacuated as a result of that fire. And having the ability to communicate with them and being in touch really provided useful, and I will credit the pandemic for that um, because we were even more nimble having been working remotely so much. Um, and I don't really want to give the pandemic credit for much, but it is, it is one thing that it did have our communication lines really robust as a result of us being really remote and even closed part of the last six months. All right, thank you, Bob. And I just want to add the Alaska court system uses the Nixle system too. And having gone through an earthquake, we discovered that our communication procedures needed to be improved, even though we had Nixle in place. And my former employer, one of the things that she did, she created templates in Nixle so that when you have those emergency situations, you can quickly use a template that addresses most of the key communication issues that you want to convey. And uh, that has worked out well. So thank you, Bob. Uh, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but two specific aspects of communication are one, rumor control, and two, employee feedback. Barbara, did you have to set up any sort of process to deal with rumors? I didn't really set up any extra process. As I said, I really just tried to get out in front of them as quickly as possible, be as transparent as possible. There's been just so much bad news. I, I've been a constant <laughs> bearer of bad news to basically everybody. But I have tried to put as supportive a spin on it, not positive spin. I think I haven't tried to candy coat the, the news that I've had to deliver. I've had to give a lot of information about the circumstances that you're going to be encountering when you come in this morning. The building is very heavily smoky, you know, and there's not much we can do about it. There, there's excrement in the doorway. You're going to be directed around the back of the building to come in the back entrance, things like that. Um, their glass has been shattered. Your work area is not going to be able to be accessed this morning. Those types of things. It doesn't really help to try to say, but we're going to have a great day anyway and, you know, keep up the good work. So, you know, I've really just tried to, to empathize, to say I understand. I've tried to ask them over and over again through video conferences, through just inviting feedback. What can I do to better support you? What can your supervisors and managers do to better support you? You know, have had some suggestions. Most employees and, and judges are just saying, you know, we don't even know. You know, it, it's hard to even know what to ask for to, to make things better. Things have just gotten so progressively and, and layer upon layer worse. But I think that everybody has really appreciated the transparency about what's going on. And I think that really has improved confidence in our leadership that we're, we're trying our best, that we understand what's going on. I think the worst thing that we can do is not make our employees and judges aware that we know all the circumstances that they're experiencing because they feel like you know, they feel alone. They feel that, you know, leadership maybe doesn't know just how bad it is. And so I think it's really important to get out there and say, we, we do know how bad it is. We're trying everything that we can do to improve the, your work environment. And if you have ideas about things that we can do differently or ways that we can improve your work environment, we're open to those things. Thank you. I, I think I agree. It's so important to be real about what's going on. Liz, does your court employee communication process include a mechanism to obtain employee feedback? 
Yes, as a matter of fact, we do a lot of the things that Barb was just talking about in terms of actively soliciting employee feedback. That becomes more challenging in an environment where you can't just run out in the office and say, hey, how's it going today? So we've tried to increase the number of remote meetings that we have, whether they're telephonic or video conferencing meetings, just so that you get that FaceTime where you get the really quality feedback that you're going to get. And then I'm just really happy about our environment here because I think we have an environment where when employees want something different or more or specific, they are more than willing to tell us. And I'm, I'm super happy to address those concerns all the time and to listen to people about what they need in terms of information from management regarding any of these emergencies. And like Barb, just getting out there constantly with what's new, what's new, what's going on. In terms of rumor control you were asking about, during the fires, I kind of let that go. There was lots of rumors about this, bill, this burnt down or that burnt down, or, and I just didn't feel like it was important for me to address in the moment because it was outside of our work environment, and I wanted people to just be able to say or talk about whatever they wanted. A lot of those things turned out to not be true. We lost many, many unincorporated towns in our river valleys in Oregon, and that was true in my county as well. Um, and so there was lots of rumors flying around about the extent of the damage. And, you know, there's nothing to be done about that. So I tried to focus in on the pieces that um, employees really needed to know from me about being in the workplace and the safety of being in workplace and all of those kind of things during that most recent pylon emergency. My thanks to Barbara Marcille, Elizabeth Baldwin, Mike Rowdy, Bob Fleshman, and Liz Rambo for sharing their thoughts on how their courts dealt with demonstrations and the wildfires all in the midst of the coronavirus. We all have much to learn from their firsthand experiences. My thanks also to my excellent co-host, Alice Roberts. Join us on January 21st for our next episode. This has been the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leader's Advantage is a regular podcast on courts and court administration. Today's episode will be available on our website, on YouTube, on Facebook, on iTunes, and on Twitter. Become part of the conversation. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakamnet.org. I'm Pete Kiefer. And on behalf of our guests, the Court Leader website, and the National Association for Court Management, thanks for watching. A special thanks to Stacey Werby for her production help on this series. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the host and the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management. <laughs>